Good morning, everyone. Feels like it's been a long time since I've been up here. I guess it's only been two weeks. Y'all doing well? Thank you. We dialogue. I want dialogue. I'm in a talkative mood today. Those of you who are watching the game on the cell phones, all cell phones down. (laughs) Father, as we deal with uh, this issue of marriage and conflict, I know that we're stirring up things. Lord, I know that some are really wrestling through things that they didn't even know were there before, and now they're discovering things in a different light, and Lord, it's not easy, and I'd ask for your grace and a sense of hope for the Lord, those who are hopeless. And Lord, I'd ask for a sense of courage for those who know the trek that they need to begin, the journey they need to begin, and uh, Lord, that they would be willing to do that. Father, would you continue to bring clarity that we may follow your will, not just as Christians in American culture, but as followers of the ways of Jesus. And it's in his name we pray. Amen. How can one tell if one's even a mature Christian? Um, how can one tell if one is maturing? You know, it's, there's a difference between growing old and growing up. I've said that for years, right? Some of the most immature people are maybe some of the oldest ones. None here, of course. But, uh, but you know, how can one tell if one is really growing as a follower of the way of Jesus? You know, one not, is just, not in the terms of just doing the things of Jesus, but actually becoming more like Jesus. One of the uh, milestones in being able to discern that in Scripture is that of how do you deal with conflict? How does one deal with conflict? That's a sure sign of spiritual maturity or immaturity, relation, emotional immaturity or maturity is based around this whole thing of how does one deal with conflict? Now, one of the questions that I got uh, a couple of weeks ago, actually, it may have been more like a month and a half ago, but uh, uh, someone asked the question, how can we be angry and loving? How can we be angry and loving at the same time? Another person asked a similar question, how can I be loving with a a cranky, grumpy spouse? I have no idea who that may be. Sometimes that may be me, but uh, not, not, not towards Kim, but Kim towards me, of course, of course. <laughs> Anger is, is one of those difficult, difficult issues to deal with, um, not just within marriage, but within any kind of relationship, but also within the church community as a whole. So, so much of what we have to talk about in regards to this issue of conflict deals specifically with marriage, but it goes way beyond that. Because how we deal with anger and conflict out there, outside of the marriage, how we deal with it out there will determine, will be a pretty good indicator of how you're dealing with it within your own spouse, with your own children, and so on and so forth. Now I've got to give you this proviso. When Kim and I went to the pastors and wives retreat uh, two weeks ago, uh, we had a man by the name of Dr. Gary Oliver, who's both a theologian and a psychologist, who dealt with this very issue. So uh, the, during the first session, I sat there, am I getting it right? Am I getting it right? And uh, then he, and I was. That's my interpretation, and I'm sticking to it. But uh, he, he added a whole other dimension to some of these thoughts, and I'll be sharing with you some of these thoughts 
He said, you can go on ahead and take and plagiarize these, share these. You don't even have to give me credit. So I'm not going to stop and say, Dr. Gary Oliver said. You can just assume Martin Schlomer said and then allow that to have credibility and weight. So that's how it works. He gave me permission to say that. Anger is a very powerful and energizing emotion. It moves us sometimes to do stupid things. And I want us to watch this video, all right? Now, be honest. How many of you ever felt that way? <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Obviously, none of us would ever do that, right? But the question is, is what is it about anger that may moves us to do some pretty stupid things? Well, we're going to look a little bit this morning just at the anatomy of anger uh, because I think that to understand the anatomy of anger um, will bring light to what Scripture says about anger. And uh, there's a couple of things that I want to just share briefly. I'm no psychiatrist, although I do speak with them um, <laughs> occasionally. I don't have a regular appointment schedule. Maybe I should. But anger can overwhelm us physically within a millisecond. How does that happen? When the brain perceives a threat, perceives a threat to our well-being, there's a little gland in your brain called the amygdala. The amygdala, right, Cal? So, and when, that, when, that, uh, when, when the brain perceives a threat to our well-being, the amygdala sends out a whole body alarm. Now, how does the amygdala perceive a threat? Well, through a couple of ways. One is through nature. If I see a bear, a black bear, or a grizzly bear running towards me, my first inclination before I think is to run. Okay? I know that my well-being is threatened. But beyond that, is that the only way in which it happens? No. We can also develop perceived threats through nurture, through how we have been raised. Um, so that's kind of how it happens. And when, that, when it does, when it perceives that threat to our well-being, the amygdala pumps our body full of adrenaline, which makes our body go on alert. It's the fight-or-flight response. Our heart rate accelerates, our blood pressure rises, our rate of breathing increases, and our focus becomes very locked on target. That's the... That's the, the what happens when your fight or flight goes into, uh, into mo uh, mode, into uh, engagement. Now, the amygdala engages so quickly that we react before the frontal cortex, which is the front part of your brain, can consider whether or not the threat is real and our response is reasonable. So the amygdala governs our emotions, especially that of anger, but the frontal cortex governs our judgment. So the next time you lose your temper, you can, or get angry with your spouse, you can just say, look at her or him and say, my amygdala made me do it. <laughs> yeah, Mike's already on that. <laughs> and Debbie's saying, I'm going to give you a lobotomy. <laughs> but... Uh, but I wish we could say that. We are not slaves to our amygdala. And here's the hope. Anger can be managed. The prefrontal cortex of our brain is capable of managing and redirecting the emotions, especially that of anger, wherever the mind, the framework with which we view life, determines. 
That's why the Bible clearly says things like in Proverbs 16.32, He who is slow to anger, or he who can manage his anger, is better or more powerful, more noble than a mighty warrior. And he who rules his spirit than he, speaking of a warrior, who captures a city. There are those who can take and accomplish great feats of, of heroism, of leading a, an army into battle, of being able to, to take a city. And we look at those accomplishments and those who do the, such things as heroes, as maybe we should. But Proverbs says, and Solomon says, I'll show you someone even greater than that. A person who can take and who can control the battle within his own soul, within his own mind. Now that's someone who, who you can admire. Someone who just is able to say, I'm not going to go with what the amygdala says. And instead, I'm going to back up a little bit and I'm going to think this thing through before I act. That person, he says, is someone who you can admire as well. Someone who rules their emotions. Now, if you're like me, you're thinking that's easier said than done. And I experienced this just about a week and a half ago and I'll share with you a little bit more about that later. But here, what I want us to understand is that Scripture, as well as our physiology, dictates and says that we can control our anger. As difficult as it may be, as much of a challenge as it may be, we do have a choice in what we do. And we need to heed that choice. We need to make sure that we're not making excuses as to why we explode the way we do or why we blame or handle our anger uh, towards others the way we do. Because Scripture is very clear that uncontrolled anger can and many times will cripple us relationally. In Proverbs 29 it says, an angry man, a man who just has this, this pool of anger deep within his own soul, of an angry man, he stirs up strife. How does he do that? He does it without even knowing. He stirs up strife and a hot-tempered man abounds in transgressions. Now here's the thing, even well-intentioned people do this without even realizing it if they're, if they're an angry person, an angry man or an angry woman. How do they do it? Well, they do it through yelling. They do it through raising their voice. They do it through criticism. Through judgmental words. Things that just may come out and they think it's totally normal. To totally justified. But they don't realize that those words, that those actions, that those emotions are coming out of a deep pool of anger within them. So it ends up crippling us relationally. It also will enslave us spiritually. Uncontrolled anger will enslave us spiritually. In Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, Paul writes this, and he really quotes Psalm 4, which we'll look at in a little while. But he tells the Ephesian Christians, be angry yet do not sin. We're going to talk more about that piece next week. But be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger, uh, on the cause of your anger. I love that. It's the uh, New English uh, translation. Do not let the sun go down on not just your anger, but that which is producing your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity or literally a stronghold, a place in your life, a foothold. 
Anger is the only emotion where if we don't deal with it, we end up opening ourselves up to demonic strongholds. Those demonic strongholds get a root in our life and they begin to exacerbate, they begin to amplify, they begin to intensify that which is already there. Already there. We see a picture of this in Genesis 4 with the story of Cain and Abel. Cain is considering killing his brother in Genesis chapter 4 and God comes to him and says this, Why are you angry? And why is your expression so downcast? Is it not true that if you do, do what is right, you will be fine? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door and its desire is to dominate you. Its desire is to not just have an influence, but its desire is to have a controlling influence in your life. An uncontrolled anger gives the devil that opportunity. And what I mean by that is this, where you may have been an angry person on a scale of 1 to 5, you may have been a 5. If you continue to not seek to control that or to, uh, to, to manage that, then you will go from a 5 to a 7, from a 7 to a 10, you'll become more and more embittered. Because Satan is pictured as a, as, a, as a being who is lurking around angry people ready to exploit any vulnerability and any opportunities. So uncontrolled anger will not only enslave us spiritually, but it will also be passed down to our children and our grandchildren. Now I know all of a sudden, many parents are all of a sudden maybe trying to slink down in a chair because you know, you know that you struggle with anger towards your kids. And I just want to say we're going to deal with that piece when we get to the parenting piece of this series. And some of you may be wondering, well, when is that going to happen? <laughs> well, we're getting there. We're making progress. But uncontrolled anger is contagious. In Proverbs 22, we read this, Do not make friends with a hot-tempered man. Do not associate with one who is easily angered. Or you may learn his ways and get yourself ensnared. That's that nurture piece. That's the nurture piece. When you grow up in an angry home, you're much more impatient and much more easily, easily critical towards others. Your anger flares more often. And here's the scary thing you think that it's normal. You think that this is just how people interact. That this is what we do. And you don't think anything's wrong with that. Now, how do I know that? Because that was me for so many years. I just thought I was a passionate, type A driven personality. And that's what you do. Right? never realizing the damage that I was doing in my wake. Thinking that that was just totally normal. Now, do all people who have anger issues just do it, use it in a verbal, intense, combative way? No, other people use anger in a very manipulative, uh, passive-aggressive way. How about when you give your spouse the silent treatment. 
That's a very angry person who does that. Or you manipulate. There's so many ways in which it can express itself and come out. They're so destructive. They're so destructive. So it happens, but here's the good news. It can be broken. The cycle can be dealt with. How do you break the cycle? I'm going to give you a couple of thoughts, and then we're going to have some Q&A time, all right? And uh, where you can ask questions, share comments, because I really want us to process this as a community, okay? Um, what do you do when you start to get angry? How do you break the cycle? And here are some things that uh, Dr. Oliver shared. And the first is this. When your anger begins to build, stop. I would say, shut up. Just stop. Remember when I said Paul quotes Psalm 4 in Ephesians chapter 4? He's actually quoting Psalm 4, 4, where it says, In your anger, do not sin. Here's some good news that we'll deal with next week. Anger can actually be used to drive one towards intimacy in one's relationships. It can actually, anger can actually be exercised in a loving way. There are ways in which we need to understand it so it's not destructive, but it can be constructive. But we'll talk about that next week. But he says, in your anger, do not sin. And then he goes on to say, he said, when you're on your beds, search your hearts and be silent. Search your heart and be silent. What's his point? Why is silence and searching your heart a good strategy? Well, one, it gives your time, the time it gives time to your frontal cortex to kick in and ask the question, is this really reasonable? Or is this really dumb? Okay? That's that's part of it. But I think there's three key ideas I just want to mention here today. And that is, it gives me a chance to be quiet and to look and to maybe take responsibility for what I need to take responsibility rather than avoid and blame. Now, how do we take normally take responsibility or how do we avoid taking responsibility? How have you guys seen people avoid taking responsibility? Any thoughts? Leave the room and don't ever talk about it. Right, you just shut down. Blame the other person? Yep. Make excuses? How about if they're, they're right? No. Silent treatment? When does silent treatment move from, or being silent, move from being wise and constructive to destructive? When you're avoiding the situation, you don't ever come back to it, right? So, bingo, bingo. Any other thoughts in terms of how people avoid taking responsibility? What's that? Sleep. Yes. Totally just avoid it. Denial. I'm not angry. I'm just frustrated. Um, I'm just distracted right now, right? All of these and many other ways 
are examples of how we avoid taking responsibility. And being silent and searching your heart says to you, take a little deeper look. Ask some questions. What's really going on here? Second is this. Second reason why silence is a good strategy, searching your heart, is that you minimize damage. Because anger, if you're a personality like me, it's all my personality's fault. If you're, if you're a personality like me, all of a sudden you're going to strike back. You will strike back. And you go into war and you're, you're, I'm going to win this argument. Okay? And it just gives you an opportunity to, to be quiet and say, you know what, I'm not going to destroy my wife right now. Because I know that if I speak, there's more going on here than what meets the eye, and I just, I know that I'm going to use this, my words as weapons. Third is this, and this is the most important part, of why it's important to be silent and to search your heart. And that's because we need to develop a greater sense of self-awareness. The way in which we've been talking about this is to realize that there's more going on on the backstage than what we realize of our lives. See, anger is really nothing more than a messenger. It's a messenger that shouts to us and says, something deeper is going on than what you realize. When anger erupts, we want to think that what is the issue we want, we want to believe that this is the issue, but what we don't realize is that what we believe is the issue may not and probably is not the real issue. Okay? We begin to attack. We begin to attack. And anger, sitting back, being silent, and searching our heart, gives us a chance to say, Lord, what's really going on here? Why, do I, why am I responding the way I'm responding so stop and look and realize that our anger is pointing to something greater. Why am I responding this way? Why am I responding this way? In many cases, anger, anger is really a secondary emotion. Now what does that mean? I learned this this last two weeks ago. It's an emotion that attaches itself to a primary emotion. It's reacting to primary emotions like past hurts, wounds, modeling. Okay? If you have a past hurt and something, your spouse does something or someone does something that reminds you of that or that resembles that, all of a sudden you're going to get really ticked. Okay? Um, Pain, vulnerability, injustice, abuse, shame, guilt. Anything that reminds us of these hurts creates anger. So it's past hurts, wounds, modeling. It's present frustrations. Present some frustrations. Sometimes we get angry just because you're tired. And you think that your spouse did something wrong and you react to her with anger, not realizing that, you know what, the real reason I'm, re I'm reacting this way is not because my spouse did something wrong, but because I'm exhausted. Anybody ever there? Yeah. Uh, sometimes it's because you're tired, you're hungry, you're pressured, you're dealing with disappointment, blocked goals, 
unmet expectations, shattered dreams. Those would be all a part of that category. Sometimes a, a, a second, a primary emotion would be future unknowns and uncertainties. And that is when we begin to focus on future, these future unknowns and uncertainties, it raises fear and anxiety, which raises our, or lowers our threshold to anger. When you're afraid of what's coming, you're much more vulnerable to reacting to your spouse, being short with your spouse, and being angry with them. All of those things contribute to that. In addition, you also have just bad attitudes. Right? Personal attitudes such as pride and jealousy, self-love, idolatry, demandingness. James 4. Why are you guys having so much conflict? It's because you're not getting what you want. That's self-love. And whenever we allow those things to... um, generate an anger, a pushback against our spouse or against others, whenever we allow that anger to take root there, God is saying, look behind the curtain. Look at the backstage and ask yourself, why are you really angry? These are all like tripwires. Tripwires. I shared last week, Kim, and I'll share it this week, um, when we went through this, this, uh, this retreat, Kim, on the way home, was saying, you know, I want us to take one of these sessions. He had four hour, hour and a half sessions. And he said, I want, she said, I want us to look at these things. And I said, you want us to what? Look at these? No. She said, well, these aren't just for us using with other people. These are for us. I said, no, no, no. Overrated. <laughs> I was joking, of course. So, lo and behold, last, a week ago last Friday, we decided to go on a hike down to High Rock. And uh, so we were going through Ashford, and my phone rang. And so I pulled outside of Ashford, I pulled over and answered it. I was good. And uh, was talking to the person, then hung up, and then went to merge back on the road. And, you know, I'm just, you know, tootling along. And, all of a sudden, you hear this horn behind me. And Kim said, you just pulled out in front of it, that guy. She didn't say it like that. She said, you just pulled out in front of that guy. Isn't that how you said it, honey? <laughs> and I said, I did not. Did you see it? Well, no, I was reading. I said, then how would you know? Because he honked the horn. And I looked in the mirror, and he's right there. I said, no, he was actually rounding the curve when I pulled out and I had plenty of room, it was not the guy in the Toyota Tundra behind me that honked the horn. It was in the guy in the stupid little sports car behind the Tundra that honked the horn. But you still pulled out in front of this guy. I said, I did not. You didn't even see it. And it was about like that. No? It was worse? Maybe it was just all in my head. (laughs) Anyhow, we'll continue on. It's my story. She can correct it later. She wishes. I told her that this morning. So all of a sudden, I just thought, you know what, Martin? Just shut up. (laughs) Maybe I ought to do that right now. Just shut up. 
just be quiet. And so I thought, I'm just going to drive. So five miles down the road, you know how long it takes to travel five miles when you're mad at your spouse? She's sitting there reading, and I'm just fuming. And I'm thinking, okay, we just went through this stuff on conflict. What do I do? And I thought, I don't really care. I really didn't care. I thought, well, I can redeem this in one way. So at one point, I says, honey, what happened to us relationally back there? And she said, you did something wrong. I called you on it, and you didn't like it. (laughs) That was not it. (laughs) Silence. Engage silence again. She needs to look at her backstage. But then I started thinking, why am I reacting this way? Because it really has nothing to do with that. And I started thinking about that. I started calming down. I just said, Lord, what's, what's going on in my life, in my heart right now? We travel another five miles. The ice begins to thaw. But I still wasn't really sure exactly what happened. We're hiking up High Rock. And then all of a sudden, it just, it comes to me. And it was this. One was my pride. Sebastian helped me see that this last Thursday. He's my psychiatrist when I meet with him. (laughs) But one was my pride. But secondly was this. And it happened actually twice that week. I grew up, and I told Kim, I says, I grew up in a very angry home where there was a lot of yelling. And I knew that whenever the volume started to go up, storm clouds were brewing and building, and a storm was on its way. And I could either run and hide, or I could either fight. When I was a child, I would run and hide. When I became a teenager, I said, I'm done with this. I will fight. One time, my dad challenged me to take me out on the front lawn and duke it out. I was 16 years old. I became a fighter. And on two separate occasions, Kim raised her voice or her intensity went up and I went into fight mode. And I didn't even know that was what I was doing. And so I had to apologize to her. I said, honey, I said, I'm really sorry because you tripped a wire you didn't even know was there. And I didn't even know was there. That's what was going on in the backstage of my life. That's why it's very important to be willing to stop, to be willing to look at the backstage and develop, ask God for a sense of self-awareness of what's really going on back there. Because I look back over my life and whenever the volume went up, even as an adult, I grew up in a home that was angry and was full of disgrace. They didn't know it. I didn't know it was that. That just was normal. I went to colleges and seminaries that really promoted angry attitudes. I went into a church. My first church had the same thing disgrace 
as a motivating force. And my first five, seven years here, there was a strong culture of disgrace as well. And I never realized that I had developed a coping mechanism for dealing with that. And so therefore, handling anger without having that awareness now, now that I have that awareness, I'm much able to say, what's really going on? Is this, has she tripped this wire? Or what are some other wires that have yet to be discovered? Anger is a complex issue. Very complex issue. But you've got to be willing to ask the question, what's going on? And I want to emphasize, you can, you can fight, as I do, or you can flee and go into this passive-aggressive behavior, go into this behavior of just hiding Silent treatment, things like that. They're really one and the same. They're just different ways of dealing with anger and waging a war. Okay? So I want to give you all a chance. I want us to process this some together. I want to give uh, Kim and uh, Jim and Brian uh, a chance just to be able to share their thoughts, for you to share your thoughts, because I really want us to get this. I want us to be able to understand this. So, I, I want to start real quick, and, and, you know, when you looked at all those scripture references, it was, you know, talking about men, you know, and, and is it a male issue, or is it, oh. you know what I mean? Some of the most angry people I know have been female. Yeah. And I just think that that's important, because I think as a guy, I have male, I have shame as a man, because I feel like it's a, it's my response, my anger response is a male-dominated issue, but... It's both male and female, and a yes. lot of it has to do with wiring, has to do with upbringing, has to do with family style. And so Abuse. it's not just a man issue. It is a male and a female issue. It, yes. it manifests itself differently. It's me and I express our anger differently, um, but it doesn't mean that I'm the only one who deals with anger. And I needed to say that. Tamina feel deals better. with anger? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I want to give you guys a chance. Kim, do you have anything you want to rebut? No, <laughs> you don't want to add some details to well. so much goes on in my own head you know I just remember that conversation being like 30 seconds and everything you said up there we didn't really say it was like did you see it and I didn't answer him and then he asked me again did you see it and I didn't answer him and and then it went silent well. <laughs> Like I said, there's this whole there's this whole thing going on in my head, you know. Now, one thing about anger is that while it may focus you on target, you don't always remember accurately after it's all said and done. So, so anyhow, all right, Jim, do you have anything you want to sh add to? Well, I think that uh, some of the challenges that Personally, I have faced uh, growing up and, and, and dealing with anger is the destruction that it, that it creates. And there's nothing greater than understanding who you are in Christ and holding on to that and you start to work through that and then reconciling with those in the family in an appropriate way. So there's, a, there's an out that I'm sure Martin will be talking about, but, it, but there's nothing more beautiful than, the, than to come out of that problem and then to recognize 
the beauty that it creates because they see the difference and then they can change too. So. Okay. You all. Larry. I also kind of grew up in an angry home and as a result I was an angry dad uh, in many ways and I just want to say it was the Lord's grace that helped me um, get over that. It wasn't until my son left the home but uh, um, God's help really helped me get over that. But much of my anger I don't know if this is true with other people. Much of my anger really is internal. It's directed at myself. I'm, I'm, I'm angry and frustrated at myself a lot for things that I do or don't do or don't handle well. And um, I think that ang- anger, when it's expressed, is often misinterpreted as anger toward you know, Darlene or whatever person I happen to be with at, at the moment that I'm angry. How do you uh, discern when anger that feels like it might be directed toward you really is internal anger where the person's angry at themselves? And how do you help them how uh, maybe there's two questions here one is how do you how do you uh, deal with self-anger how do you forgive yourself or whatever it is it takes to do and uh, if you're the person who's feeling that anger how how do you recognize that that might be the source of that anger and how do you deal with it okay you guys want to take a stab at this I think you have to start with recognizing what it is, and you have to forgive yourself. You know, we, we, we practice forgiving others, but have we actually practiced forgiving ourselves for the mistakes we also make? So we internalize that, and we're, we're frustrated and angry. And I had to, I had to deal with that. I had to, to learn to say, okay, well, if Christ's forgiven me, then how do I forgive myself? And I, and I have to do that. Uh, and it lets us off the hook, which can be a big big improvement. Well, I I think recognizing, like you said, it's important. I'm right here. Sorry. Where are you? Where are you? I'm right here. Oh, there you are. Okay. (laughs) Uh, Recognizing that, like, God is speaking. Yeah. Recognizing that Christ has forgiven us and acknowledging that and living in that. I think sometimes I think our view of I need to forgive myself. I I think that forgiving yourself is you acknowledging that I'm already forgiven because the idea of me forgiving myself puts some something on me that I need to do, Christ has already done it, and I need to live within that. And that's, I think, some of that is, you know, when you're angry, I think being able to separate yourself and say, okay, wait a minute, why am I angry? And I think that stop, look, and listen, and even processing through, because, you know, I know when when Tamina and I kind of get into it, she's able to say, you know, hey, this is probably what's going, you're right, you know. So being able to stop, you know, look at, okay, what's going on, and then listen to, to people around you that says, okay, this is probably what's going on. Oh, okay, this is not them. This is me, you know, and I often tell people, own what you can own, because that's all you can own, and it's when you start to own other people's stuff that, that creates, I think, even more angst inside of you. You know, I was talking with my mentor uh, a week and a half ago, and I was telling him a story. Nick, Jeremy, the, the day before, had, the evening before, just called me and just shared uh, how he had seen me grow and how much he appreciated my example in his life. And I really hate it when my kids do that. I really do. It makes me feel very uncomfortable. And I shared that with Bruce. And he said, why? And I said, because I look at my stuff. I look at what I've done. And he said, Martin, that really surprises me. And he said, why? I said, why? He says, because you are such a gracious man toward other people. Why don't you show that same grace towards yourself? And I've been chewing on that for the last week and a half, just saying, God, 
you know, I, I'm more than willing to mediate and, and give God's grace to other people, but boy, you know, when it comes to me, you know, that tells me how deep self-contempt goes. And uh, that shows also just the role of the gospel needing to transform me continually. You never arrive. You never get there. You just go deeper and deeper and deeper. We're all like onions, okay? Just layer upon layer upon layer. But it all gives us the freedom to live in openness with one another and be able to say, yeah, I'm only this far into my onion. Well, I'm this far. No, you're not. You're really this far. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it gives us that freedom, and that's what community is about as well. But uh, I think we're like parfait. <laughs> like what? Parfait? Okay. There's an age gap there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, other questions? I have a question. Um, when you're so used to reacting in anger, and typically it's an overreaction, yes, but when you're so used to reacting in anger, these are great steps. I love steps, practical steps to doing things. But what is that trigger that, what triggers you to follow those steps? What? How do you, because it's not easy to fix a habit. And <laughs> so what? what then... How do you control that? How do you get that control? The way in which I... I'm sorry, go ahead. Well, no, you can answer too. No, I'll let you go first. I think, you know, you're going to fail, but as you, as you speak quickly and then you realize, oh, I blew it again, it's stopping and looking at, okay, what was going on? being aware, admitting it, and then hopefully the next time. And it's a process. It's not like you're going to, there are no one, two, three steps, and it's completely gone. There's, that's just not life. Right. It's a messy process, Sam, and for me, it really comes down. I, I'm 54 years old, and I'm just, I feel like I'm learning this stuff new, just personally. I look back, and I've been wrestling it with, for, with it for decades, but... Um, you know, God is gracious. And one, three questions that, I, that I've got are the questions that, um, you know, what, what is happening in me right now? Even though all your emotion wants to say, I, I'm not interested in thinking about your dumb questions, Martin. <laughs> you know, just not interested. But, you know, that's where you've got to let rationale begin to take root. And it's, it takes root repeatedly over time. Um, what's happening in me? What's happening in you? That was my attempt to ask the question. What happened to us relationally back there? <laughs> I called you out on something. You didn't like it. Do you remember? Did that conversation take place? <laughs> it happened like a week later. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. <laughs> It's, it's, it's always, are you, do you have more questions you're, at, you're throwing in there? Uh, then what's happening between us? Yeah. So, it, it's just, it's a habit, it's just something that's got to be formed through intentionality, through time. And you're young. I never had this stuff when I was 24 years old like you. <laughs> so. Hey, hey, Sebastian wants to add something. Yes. So there are a couple things with that. The first is uh, we all have a lot of baggage. And if you kind of imagine that as a freight train, I don't know if you've ever heard a 
freight train stop or seeing a freight train stop, you have that intention, I am not going to be angry today. And it's kind of like just tapping that brake on that freight train. But it doesn't work like that. It sometimes it takes a long time for that tra freight train to stop and slow down and be able to go to a different track. And that's not a comfortable process. It, it squeals, it makes a horrible sound as it's slowing down. But there's a lot of inertia, a lot of a lot of baggage, a lot of uh, patterns of behaviors and thoughts that we have. And so just giving yourself a little bit of grace as you're intentionally slowly slowing down that tr freight train, understanding that it's not going to be an instantaneous thing, uh, I think it's important. The other thing is you can do a lot of things that will set you up for success when you're not in the heat of the moment, ahead of time. To uh, You don't need to wait until you're in the middle of an argument to say, how do we deal with this argument rationally? It's not going to work. So I, I would recommend planning ahead of how to argue better, what, what structure you're going to put into arguments, and almost make that a pattern that you engage in automatically without thinking about it. Um, that, that might help. Amen, amen. I love the, I love the imagery of the, the freight train, and it comes back to also in terms of the motivating force behind all of this is the gospel and saying, God, work this deeper and deeper into my life because you're transforming me. I've not just been saved, but I am being saved, and that many times that's for myself. Uh, one of the techniques that you can use that uh, uh, we've uh, done some training on is take a piece of paper and write these four words on it. Facts, emotions, solutions, and spoilers. So when you start getting into an argument, you can stop and say, oh yeah, we'll take this piece of paper out and we're going to talk about what are the facts of what just occurred? Then what are the emotions that, when you're through with that, then what are the emotions that came out of that? Then how do we solve it? And in that solution, where could the enemy come in and ruin it? And then what would we do about that? And it's a, it, it sets a process up for stepping through situations that can help de-escalate it and get it out of the anger and into something far more constructive. One more, Christy. Um, wh what I learned, um, um, those who anger us always, um, also will control us. So, you know. Um, say again. Those who anger us will control us. Yes, those who anger us will control us. Okay. I'm so gracious. So I like the word disen disengage, um, and I think of two things that have helped me um, with uh, the personalities in our home um, is, and I'm often in the, in the middle, the peacemaker, but um, the thing that disengages it, in, at least in my heart and mind, is remembering we're not wrestling one another. We are in a spiritual battle, and the enemy wants to take us down and destroy our home. And so that immediately puts a perspective that just disengages it for me. And I think practically, and we know this verse, but it's huge, is um, a harsh word stirs up anger, you know, but a gentle one brings it down. And I think of the, t the different things that can disengage is even just our, our voice and our tone um, and just those are just disengaging. Those have helped me. Amen. All right, we are, we are out of time. So if you have more questions, be sure and send them to me. Next week, we're going to talk about how do you take and engage one another in that constructive way so that um, we can um, 
grow and so that anger can actually move us towards intimacy with our spouse. Okay, Father, would you take these thoughts and just bring them all together, Lord, into our specific situation so that, Lord, we may continue to be redeemed by the power of your Spirit. For, Lord, you have called us into this. You've called us into this, Lord. Help us to understand with greater clarity how you want us to live this out as we grow and as we mature. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen.